sermon from Sunday, January 7th. Let's begin with prayer. Holy One, be with us in this eternal moment. Bless us through your holy word and these words that they might bring light and life. Amen. Scripture reading is from the first chapter of Mark, verses 4 to 11. Listen to what the Spirit is trying to say. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Today, I'm really only going to talk about two things, spatial dynamics in scripture, divine geography, if you will, and a miracle that happened right here. Now, which would you rather start with? Okay, spatial dynamics it is. All right, bear with me. I know that might not be your first choice, but I have to keep you hanging around. And in fact, there's some really fascinating things to be learned by looking at scripture through the lens of space. The biblical story, all of it actually, is a series of grand movements, of location and dislocation. Just this past Saturday, we celebrated Epiphany, that story of the Magi traveling across the globe to visit this mysterious star child sometimes referred to as kings, these magi left their power centers to reveal the true center of the world in a child born of modest means, who would grow up to be a worker, born of a small town who spent most of his life wandering around the countryside, teaching, healing, and staring down demons. Seemingly had few possessions, Perhaps Jesus didn't even have a home. Christians claim that God enters the world on the edge of society. Mark, likely the oldest of the Gospels, includes no birth story. It introduces us to Jesus as an adult, getting baptized in a stream from someone who has just emerged from the wilderness eating bugs. Talk about the edge. Jesus' first act? is to do nothing, instead to be baptized. And when he is, he sees the Spirit descending like a dove on him. 
Notice in Mark, unlike elsewhere, Jesus sees the Spirit descending like a dove, but there's no indication anyone else sees it. Miracles are not always for everyone to see, much less believe. In this moment, God proclaims from the heavens, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. This raises all kinds of questions. What makes Jesus beloved? He hasn't done anything yet, at least anything that Mark feels consequential enough to tell us about. Furthermore, the baptism John is offering is one for the forgiveness of sins. Could it be that Jesus needed to repent? Either way, Mark makes it clear that love is not earned in God's economy. Favor not earned, it is given. It's a helpful reminder for us, especially this time of year, as Nadia Boltz-Weber, popular Lutheran preacher, puts it, there is no resolution that, if kept, will make me more worthy of love. And so it has always been. Perhaps Jesus' openness by submitting to baptism does make him more able to receive this free gift of love, more able to be a vessel for the Spirit in his life, Jesus' ministry, somewhat shockingly, begins on the edge of his own control. It all emerges from the edge. Read through scripture sometime, any portion, and notice how many dynamic and transformative events happen, not in traditional centers, but on an edge. A healing that takes place at the temple gate, not in the temple itself. Encounters and struggles that happen in entryways to houses, in porticos, but not inside. Conversions and mystical encounters on roads that occur between cities. Paul, for instance. The Emmaus Road, for instance. And what are roads? These are places in between supposedly important spaces. And yet that's where it all happens. Once baptized, where does Jesus go? To Jerusalem? No, he goes to the wilderness, to the edge. These are contested spaces where the rules are a little more up for grabs, sometimes dangerous to be sure, yet also often pregnant, possibility. And this is not so different from our world. Where do the real deals get done, in the boardroom or after the meeting? at the bar, at conferences, the hallways are the lively places, not the meeting rooms. What if we learn to embrace our edge times for what opportunities they bring, our edge spaces, if you will? Silicon Valley and other centers of innovation, now there's an oxymoron for you, have figured this out, building in unstructured spaces and times protected spaces where new ideas and perspectives can emerge free of the usual constraints. For some, living on the edge is a chronic reality, the result of systemic injustice. We should not forget that. But while unchosen, even these can be spaces of opportunity. As Vonnegut reminds us in your bulletin cover documents, when you're on the edge, you can see things you can't see from the center. Take that quote home with you. 
On the edge, you don't have to spend all your resources propping up the systems that support the center, which is enormously draining. New things come from the edge. It's where the term edgy comes from. Do you know why the Genesis reading about creation is paired with today's reading about the beginning of Jesus' ministry? It's because Christians claim that in Jesus there is a new creation. That God makes all things new, begins again. Jesus is a new day one. And where does God start to recreate the world in God's own image? Not from the center. Not from Rome but from Bethlehem, the edge. Speaking of Rome, despite what you've been told, it's a great time to be a follower of Jesus. You see, for the first time in history since the institutional church got in bed with the empire in Rome in the fourth century, the locus of economic power and the vibrancy centers of the church have become disentangled. They've become separate. See, the economic center of the world is still the West, while the church is flourishing primarily in the global south and the east and Africa and parts of Asia. Some Westerners have seen this as cause for lament. But look what happens when the church is freed from propping up systems that aren't very consistent with gospel values anyway. Prophetic and creative edges are again emerging. Imperfect, sure, but certainly fresh and filled with new life. Liberation theology, this gift from Latin America, has reminded us what has always been so, but over the centuries we have conveniently forgotten that God stands first with the poor and the oppressed, not those who hoard power and resources. Look at this Pope we have, his refreshingly Christ-like way of being, which you would think would be an automatic for religious leaders, his way has inspired millions, maybe billions, including many of us Protestants and many who aren't Christian at all. Do you think it's a coincidence that he comes from the global south, from among the poor, with little to gain by supporting the status quo of extractive and unsustainable economies? A lot of people are feeling pushed aside to the edge right now. Someone's always getting pushed aside. But once you admit you're there, as hard as that may be to do, there is possibility in what it may bring. Because there, there's less to lose and more to dream about. There, there's less to defend and more opportunity to turn anxious energy into creative energy. Let's lean, as Congregational Sage Ted Scott suggested to me this week, more into our agency than our helplessness. We're good at leaning into our helplessness. I got incredibly sick over Christmas, as many of you know, ended up in the emergency room and was down and out for days. Well, sickness is an edge place, if ever there is one. It makes you consider what's important. I realized anew that what is important to me is not propping up hollow incantations of the faith. What's important to me is witnessing about loving the world that God loves. I don't just mean people. I mean the created world with whom we have a terribly broken relationship. The world that God created and fell in love with and recreated in Jesus Christ. 
What's important to me is standing alongside the poor and those taken advantage of, advantage of by those who have more than enough. Just as Christ did. Just like the prophets before him and the prophets since have done. If in doing so, some who perceive themselves as benefiting from the way things are get upset, so be it. The call of the Christian is not to be popular. It's not to be liked. The call is to be faithful to Jesus Christ. Besides, nobody truly benefits from an unsustainable way of being. Nobody benefits from such dramatic inequality that we experience today, even those at the top. We're about to endeavor to renovate our facilities here at the church, to build a new church building. I have no interest in doing that simply for the sake of doing it. What moves me and what I believe should move us as Christians in this project is to have a chance to create, to recreate a space where a generation of people, young and old, can come and learn to view things from the edge as Jesus did. Become living vessels for the Spirit as Jesus did. The story of John the Baptist shows us that if we follow Jesus to the edge, miracles will happen. They already have. And here's your miracle story. This fall, when the wildfires came, we gathered here to pray with the church. Many of us overwhelmed by what was taking place. We prayed for those who'd been affected by the fires. We prayed for those who were fighting the fires. And then it happened. Someone suggested that we pray for rain. You could sense the hesitation. Do we do that? Can we do that? What if it doesn't work? Well, what if it does? We were encouraged, and not by me. One of you was the vessel in this moment. We were encouraged to draw images of rain, to carry around images of water falling from the sky in our hearts and mind, to hold the intention to return it, to pray for it, to pray for rain. It was October. And I believe it was the next week on a Wednesday when out of nowhere it rained. For one glorious day, not again for weeks, but it rained. Now say what you will. Dismiss what you like. But according to Mark, nobody else saw the Spirit descend on Jesus either. But Jesus saw it. And look at what it did for him, empowering him. Look at what the Spirit did for him through his openness to possibility. Is that really a dark cloud following you around? Or is it the Spirit of God waiting and wanting to unleash a torrent of possibility upon you? I have baptized you with water, but Christ will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Banish in us all fear. Eliminate overcast outlooks. Wash away our encrusted shells. Rain down on us your spirit. 
baptize us in truth and courage. Set us free and turn us loose. Amen.